And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're having a great Sunday morning. Way to get out of bed on a cloudy day when it's a little extra hard and be here and make it a priority. Uh, We are in the series that you just saw. You asked for it. So in the spring, we did a series called Asking for a Friend where we kind of filled in questions that we thought people might be asking. But then you actually filled out a survey and let us know these are questions we really had. Um, So we are answering a few of those. And the idea is that how would we talk about this if we were to go get coffee together? How would, how would we break down some of these questions? And the one we're tackling today is, how do I change? How do I get rid of some of those habits or patterns or addictions or things that I keep doing, the little sins, the big sins? How do I stop doing those? And how do I start doing other things that I want to do, the things that I desire to do, the things that God is calling me to do? How do I change? Which is such a huge question, right? You guys didn't, like, send the easy ones in. Um, I was studying for this one, and I was like, I really need like eight, ten weeks probably to unpack this, and we'll probably revisit it in the future. But my goal today is to give you some practical handles, applications, things to grab onto that you can walk away with as we think about changing and growing into Christ-likeness. Um, does anybody actually want to grow into Christ-likeness? Does anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of you. We want to be more like Jesus. I mean, that is hopefully why you're here. Maybe you're here for the donuts. Maybe you're here because a friend dragged you here. Hopefully you keep coming back and you stay because you want to be more like Jesus. I mean, I do. I want to look more like him. I hope that all of us collectively as a church look more like Jesus next year than we do this year. That's my prayer. That's, that's like a burden. That's something that keeps me up at night is are we actually becoming more like Jesus? Are we pattering, patterning, pattern, pattern? I I don't know how to talk anymore. Are we basing our life off of who he is? (laughs) Forget that word. That is no longer in my vocabulary. It's why we do what we do. It's why we find hope and follow Jesus. Like, hope is essential for faith. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week because it's our birthday week. We're going to talk about the theme of hope and why it's such an important biblical theme. And then we're going to be kicking off Galatians, which I'm so excited about. But this week, you know, we're talking about the follow Jesus part. Like, we all have a next step to take. Some of us are brand new to faith. You're just figuring it out. How do, I, how do I make some of those first steps of following Jesus? Some of us have been following him for a long time, but we're like, we still have things that we don't want to do that we are still doing. We still have things that, you know, some of us at worship night, we were like, God brought something up to my mind that I need to work on, that I need to see removed. You know, those types of things. What are those things and how do we change? Let's go ahead and jump in and read a little bit of scripture and then, then we'll pray. This is Colossians 3. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear to him in glory. In this section of the letter to the Colossians, Paul is really quick saying, remember who you are. This is his, like, Mufasa in the clouds showing up to Simba when he's like, remember who you are. Like, that was a terrible impression, but you guys know what I'm talking about. He's like, your identity is really important to you living the life you're called to live. Like, Simba's having an identity crisis. This is not in my notes. I don't know. We always go back to Lion King every couple months. 
It's just such a good movie. But um, he's having an identity crisis, and, and Mufasa's like, remember who you are, because your identity changes how you live. So he's like, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Because you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he starts listening, listing things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. He's saying, remember, that's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. It's an identity thing. I want you to think differently, Paul is saying to them. He's like, remember who you are. This is like baptism. You died and you're made new. And then he says, you used to walk in these ways, the well, if you once lived. But now, this is verse 8, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and do and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the old has died with you and that we are made new. And, and God, like Paul is saying here, we need to take off the old and put on the new. And God, I pray that you would help us. Would you help us see in your word, through the power of your spirit, would we be transformed? Would we leave different than we came in and empowered by your spirit to live the life you're calling us to live? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, who likes fashion? Like, who cares about, like, clothing and styles and trends? A few of you. Nice, nice. Well, about half. That's pretty good. Who does not care? The not caring people were much more like, it wasn't that many more of them. They were just more aggressive in it. They were like, I do not care. The, maybe the caring people just didn't want to admit it. But, okay, I didn't ever care. I care a little now. But Abigail has been discipling me in it. She's been teaching me for over 10 years. We started dating in college, and I think it was probably, we were talking about this last night. I was like, I think it was like one week, maybe two weeks. Ahead. She says it's a little later. Give, we'll give it a month, to be fair. She was like, let's go shopping. <laughs> you need some new clothes. And so, like, we go to the store, and we only stayed on the men's side of the store because I was the one who needed new clothes. Because, I mean, I was in my senior year at Moody and wearing clothes from high school, but <laughs> she was just like, Why do, what, what if you... What if you wore a shirt like this? And I was like, well, I've never worn a shirt like that. And she's just showing me and teaching me. And like, that's been a 10-year process. So if you're like, Dan, you usually look good on Sundays. Yeah, because you don't know this. But last night even, she was like, what are you wearing tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You can't even deny it. You're not denying it. But no, she's helped me. She's helped me learn what goes together, like don't mix two patterns maybe, like especially for, for you, like maybe have like one calm basic thing and like one pattern or you know, like this thing, you know, ah, what colors go together, all that stuff, what looks good on you. But she's been helping me. And I don't know, like when we first started dating, I was like looking back at pictures, um, there was definitely a mismatch. Like I dressed one way and she dressed another way in a way that didn't look like we go together. And I think that happens with us and Jesus when we first get saved. We're like, I'm now in the family of God, but I don't necessarily look like I'm in the family of God. 
I don't necessarily act like I'm in the family of God. Like I have, there is a disconnect between those things. Like they don't look like they go together. Like if we went on a date, somebody would be like, they don't look like they go together. Actually, you're not just friends, like you're actually like dating. No, like we're dating. We're engaged now. Now we're married with kids. But um, no, with Jesus, we have this thing where it's like when we first start following him, there's a difference. There's a gap between how we look and live and act and how he is and is calling us to be. But we have, like, we've talked about this a lot as a church, how we are made right. We are righteous and justified in his sight, and we are made brand new, and the inside is transformed. We're given a, a new spirit, and the old is gone, and the new has come. But there's a, a bit of time before we start to see that realized. Right? Are you guys with me? We don't instantly live it out. It's not a snap of the fingers, and I, I left behind every bad habit I ever had. And see, what happens is we often want to change, like, in our mind, but we don't do it. We don't get there. There's some things that we work on and some things we've changed over time, but there's things that we haven't been able to, or if we're honest, we don't even want to change. I started thinking about change, and it's actually something I read about a lot. Um, I read about it from psychology. I read about it from uh, Christian and spiritual formation. And I read about it from a range of perspectives. And uh, it's something that's really interesting to me. And what a lot of people say about change is that we won't change until it's a big problem. Like, we won't usually change until the pain of not changing is bigger than the pleasure of keeping to do that thing. Like, maybe you've experienced this. Like, you've been putting off going to the dentist, and it's just gotten worse and worse, and now it's like you have to deal with it because it's a bigger problem now. Or it's like your yard, your backyard. You have, like, some weeds, but then you let it go for a long time, and now it's like, wow, we really got to do something because it's out of control. Or maybe it's whatever it is. It's something that started small and then got big, and you're finally going to do something about it because you have to. It's so painful at this point. It's something that's forcing you to. We won't change until the pain of not changing is greater than the pleasure of staying the same. There was a study that they did that said most people will not take the deal, a 50-50 deal of betting $100. So what that means is they're like, most people, if you walked up to them and said, I'm going to flip a coin, heads you give me $100, tails I give you $100, deal? Most people will say no. Most people will be like, that's not worth it. Because the pain of losing $100 is greater than gaining $100. So what they did is they followed up with those people and they'd keep increasing the number. All right, how about you give me $100 or if, if you win, I'll give you $150. People still, on average, said no. They kept raising that number until it was $260 versus $100. It wasn't until it was 2.6 times more that people were like, I'll consider that now. And it's because we're... We're more, we don't want to give up what we already have. The pain of losing something is greater than what we see that we could gain. And that's why we don't change. Because we don't want to give up that thing or that habit or that practice or that it's, we like it more than what we see on the other side. We might know that it's better or that we should but we're not actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we'd rather have that other thing. We don't value the change properly. They did another study with, with a mug where they're like, hey, I have a mug and I'm going to sell it. How much do you think it's worth? Just like a really basic diner mug. The average number was $3. Then they, then they did it and they brought it to di a different group of people and they gave them the mug. And they said, this is your mug. 
how much do you think you, should, you would be able to sell it for? And the average number was $7. It's the same mug. The difference was, were they gaining it or losing it? We don't like to lose things. So when we're changing, when we're thinking about change in patterns that we want to give up, it's because we, we don't actually want to let go of that thing. So part of giving up has to be a picture that is big enough and broad enough that is worth moving towards. We have to desire Christ's likeness enough that it's better than what we're giving up. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Because my desire is that we would change before we have to. Because, like I said, a lot of times we don't change until we have to because we value not changing. And so we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, back to close. Really quick. It's going to make sense in a minute. I mean, you kind of saw it in the Colossians passage. He's like, put on, take off, all that. We're going to get there. But back to close. I don't know if I'm the only one, but how many of you have been getting ready for something, and maybe it's like a nice dinner, or it's an event, or you have something going on, and you come down, and your spouse is standing there, and they say, is that what you're going to wear? <laughs> Has anybody ever had that happen? Yeah? Mostly, I think exclusively guys raise their hand. <laughs> I've had that happen. And I've learned that's when you just say, no. <laughs> that's not what I'm going to wear. <laughs> because clearly that's not what I'm supposed to be wearing. But here's the thing. We want to wear it because it's comfortable. It's what we're used to. It's what we've always worn. It's what we know. And we start to make excuses, but this is who I am. This is who you knew I was. This is, this is how I dressed when we were dating. This is what you knew you were getting into. And that's what we do in our spiritual life. We go back to what we know. We go back to what's comfortable. We go back to what's familiar. We go back to what we're used to. And we say, but this is how I've always been. This is the environment I grew up in. This is what I wear. This is what I do. That is what the Colossians were saying to Paul. That was the problem that they were having. And Colossae is this little island in this area, and it was a diverse group. There was people that would move there because it was great and beautiful, and they wanted to be there. But they would all have this, this, this idea that I'm, I'm, that's just who I am. That's just who I am, Paul. I don't need to change because that's like just part of my personality or part of my upbringing or part of whatever brand, label, group they put themselves in. We just read that passage in Colossians, Colossians 3, um, from the NIV, but Eugene Peterson has a paraphrased version, uh, and we don't use it very often on Sundays because it's more of just a regurgitation in his own words, but I thought it was very thought-provoking. Um, so I want to read from the message, and it says, and that means killing off everything connected with the, the way of death. He's Going back to saying, remember, we're dead. He's like, so we're getting rid of all that stuff. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's the life shaped by things and feelings instead of God. That's a life shaped by things and feelings. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. I w it wasn't long ago that you were doing all the stuff and not knowing any better. He's like, this is how you always have lived, but you can't keep doing it anymore. But you know better now, so make sure it's all done for good, gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. He says, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. 
Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. I love that imagery. And it's actually like the real imagery that Paul was describing because he's saying, put off. He's saying, take it off. Like the old way you used to live, what's been comfortable, those habits, all of these things that I listed, doing whatever you want, talking however you want, all of those things that go with it. He's saying, take that off as part of your old wardrobe. Christ has given you new clothes. He's given you a new way to live, a new pattern to follow after. I said pattern that time. I remembered how to say that word. He's given us a new way to live, a new wardrobe, and we have to put that on. He says every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. I love that. That's such good imagery. Every, the new way of life designed by God is what we're supposed to live into. Back to the, the NIV, it says, uh, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of Christ. He's saying the new way of life is patterned after the image of Christ, who he was, his character, his nature, that you're actually cl- supposed to put on the clothes that make you look like Jesus. Part of following Jesus means you're slowly becoming more like him. You're becoming more and more like him in your character and in your conduct and the way that you think and the way that you live, the way that you interact in your marriage and in your family and in your work and all of those things. You're looking more and more like Jesus. In the Corinthian letter, he says that as you behold the image of him, he's talking about Jesus. He's like, as you behold that image, you become more like him. That as we look at who Jesus is, we start to put on those clothes. And so he's saying, take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. We can't just make excuses anymore. He actually goes on to say, going back, um, he says, all the old fashions are now obsolete. This is, again, the paraphrase version. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave, free, those mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Stop using who you were to excuse who you are. That's, that was my note. It, stop excusing who you were Stop saying, that's just who I am, because that's not who you are anymore. You can't just blame it on personality. You can't just blame it on upbringing. Those are real things, and they influence us. And it's not saying you don't have those anymore. It's just saying you still need to have those and look like Jesus while you do. You can't just use that as an excuse. You can't just say, these are the clothes I've always worn. This is what I'm used to. This is what's comfortable. He's saying, no, I've given you a new wardrobe. You need to put those on. We need to change. So he, Paul, he breaks it up into two things here. Taking off the old clothes. Get rid of your old clothes. That's step one. He's saying, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self. That's the NIV version. You've taken that off. Matthew 9, 16, he's talking about life in the kingdom and how it's different and it needs a new vessel. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. For those who grew up in church, this is right before the wine and wineskins version. I don't know why we always talk about the wineskins more than the patch, because it's the same analogy. He says them back to back. But he's saying the patch, you can't just fix what's going on with a patch. He's like, the cloth will shrink and it will rip. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. It will expand and it will burst. He's saying, I've done a new thing in your life. I've, through the new covenant, made you part of the family of God. You're adopted as a son and a daughter. And because of that, you need to look and live differently. You need to become more like Jesus. The idea of the old cloth with a hole in it and a new patch, 
and being ripped apart, we feel that. We feel that in our life when there's the tension of, of wanting what, how we did do it and how we're called to do it. Like, we feel that maybe with our old group of friends. Like, you, you feel the pull between your friends and your faith. And what is happening in this passage where it's like, it will pull apart. It will rip at the seams. Like, one of those two things is going to win. Your friends are either going to pull you away from your faith or your faith is going to end up pulling you away from your friends. Like, it, it won't work. It's not that you can't have influence. It's not that you cut them out of your life. It's just they can't be, be your main group if you want to be following Jesus. Or, or the kingdom culture and pop culture are at odds. Like, there's some things in our life that we can't watch and listen to the same way as everybody else because it's just not the way that God would have us to be. It's not, the eye is the lamp of the body. It makes a difference. And, and so Paul is saying the first step in becoming like Christ is taking off the old things. And so the question is, what has to go? What is, what is in your life that you've held on to because it's comfortable and it's what you've always worn and it's what you've always known? Because here's the other thing. We all have that thing in our closet, at least most of us, have that thing in our closet that we know shouldn't be there anymore because it's either stained or it doesn't fit or it has a hole in it. But we have attachment to it. Like it has, it has some sort of value to us, whether it's sentimental value or maybe it's just like one of the more expensive pieces of clothing you bought. You're just like, I can't get rid of this. You know how much I invested in this? Or this meant so much to me, like this season of my life is when I wore that. And that's how we have those patterns. Like there's some things that we're like, I can easily give this up for you, Jesus. But then there's other things we're like, but I want to hold on to that. That's always been a part of what I do, how I think, how I live. And Paul's saying, no, we're taking off the old clothes. We're putting on the new clothes. So that's the second part is put on the new clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put these things on. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a high bar. How has God forgiven you completely? holy, unconditionally. That's how we're called to forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Most of all, put on love. He's saying put on, clothe regularly throughout this passage. There's multiple times. It's an ongoing process. It's something that we need to wake up. I don't know about you. I don't wake up with all of these every day. I don't wake up always wanting to be really compassionate. Sometimes, but not always. I need to clothe myself with it. I need to be intentional. God, would you fill me with your spirit? It's called the fruit of the spirit. We're going to be in Galatians in the, the fall. We're going to be starting that book. But Galatians chapter 5 talks about life in the spirit. It's not the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's something he produces inside of me. I need to clothe myself in him. And so I want to get a little bit more practical as we kind of move towards the later part of the message. Um, but first, I want to give us two myths. In the church world, there's, there's a couple things when we talk about change that sometimes we believe. Um, the first one is all I need to change is the Bible. All I need to change is the Bible. That's like partially true because that's where we learn how to change. But it's not just information that will change us. This is actually something that kind of was a result of the Protestant Reformation. 
Luther um, wrote about how we change uh, and what is called sanctification, the process, the process of becoming more holy. And he said it is through um, the word and the sacraments. And the sacraments part of it was because he was coming out of the Roman Catholic Church and he still had a really high value for that. I actually think we should have a higher value for it than we typically do. Um, and we've kind of thrown that out, the sacraments out in the, the modern American church. But we've basically been left then with the Bible. If we want to change, read your Bible. How many of you have like heard that, thought that, believed that? It's just like, if I want to change, I just need to read my Bible more. And you do need to read your Bible more. We're actually going to talk about how that is one of the application points at the end. But it's not just that. Because you've probably said, God, I want to change in this area, and read the Bible and not changed. The second myth is that you don't need to do anything. The more intellectuals swing towards the first one, we're like, I just need the Bible. I just need to understand it, and then I'll, I'll be able to do it. If it was like that, that would be like magic. But um, the second one is that we don't need to do anything. It's, it's just like, let God do it. Like, this is where the phrase, let go and let God comes from, um, which I don't really like that phrase. But the idea is that, you know, it's like the Matrix. He just downloads it. You know the Matrix? It's like, I'm not recommending that movie or endorsing it. I do endorse The Lion King, though. But the, the Matrix is like, they would be like, I need to learn how to fly a helicopter. And it'd be like, blah, 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 blah. oh, I know how to fly a helicopter now. Or like, it would be like, it, that's how some people think the Christian life works, though. It's like, if I just pray, then automatically God will give me the ability to overcome worry. Like we talked about worry a couple weeks ago. Or if I just, just let God do it, I'm all of a sudden going to have this. And it's like both of these are partially true, which is why they sound so good. Like we need the word and we need to trust that it's God. And, and this is where it gets a little messy, is that it is God that changes us, but he's asking us to participate. He's asking us to be a part of it. He's not going to force you into it. Sometimes he supernaturally does things. I've heard countless stories of God removing addictions in a moment or changing things in a moment. And we pray for that and we believe it. But as a whole, he is inviting you to be a part of the process. I like this phrase. We don't like the cliche, um, let go and let God. But I do like this cliche where it says, without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. We can't change on our own to be more like Christ. There's things you can do, there's habits you can have, there's behaviors you can change, but you won't actually be more like Christ holistically inside out without him. You can't do it. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all by grace. You're saved by grace. You actually walk in grace. It's, it's the whole thing is by grace through faith. But also, without us, he won't. He's asking us to participate in it. I've read a lot about spiritual formation, as I said. One of my favorite books is called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. I was actually reading it this week. It's, it's really good, um, kind of refreshing my memory on some of the things he teaches in there. And what he says uh, is that we need three things to change. We need vision, intention, and means. Vision. We need a picture of why we're changing or what it's going to be like when we change. This is, this is what I was saying earlier in that we need a, a picture that is so much better than what we're leaving so that we know that it's worth it. This is why Jesus is regularly saying in the New Testament when he's teaching in parables, he's like, the kingdom of God is like, and he says something that is amazing. He's like, there's a guy who sold everything he had because he found a pearl of great price. He's like, that pearl of great price is like the kingdom of God. He's regularly comparing the kingdom of God to like an analogy of getting rich because he's saying it's that good. He wants you to have a picture that 
life in the kingdom is actually what you're looking for. It is where you find peace. It is where you find joy. It is where you find love. The things that you desire and at your core are longing for, it's found in the kingdom of God. It's found there. And so we need to have a vision that says, when I become like Christ, it's actually going to give me what I'm longing for. It's actually what I was created for. I was created to worship God, to reflect his goodness to the world around me so that they could see what God is doing in me and glorify him, not me, him. I need a picture that says, this is what's best for me. We need vision, trading it in, that it's worth it, that what I'm giving up is worth what I'm gaining. He says, count the cost. That's a phrase Jesus uses. Count the cost of following me. But if you accurately understand the cost, if the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, it's a no-brainer exchange. It's like, yes, 1,000% I will trade the old for the new. Forgiveness, new life, peace with God, empowerment by the Spirit, transformation. So you need vision that what you currently have is not more valuable than what he's offering. And then you need intention. You actually have to make a decision. Um, this is the idea of Joshua 24 when he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, I like how practical Joshua is. He's like, maybe you won't want that. He says, but choose then. Choose yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in those land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We have to actually make a decision at some point. We have to have a picture of how we're changing, what we want, what God is offering. This is the area that I'm, I'm going to be growing in. And then we need to decide, I actually want that. And then we need the means or the method to do it. Because sometimes we have the picture. God, I want that. What you're telling me is actually what I want and I've decided to do it. I just don't know how. The means and the method. Really quick, we're going to get into the how. Method, so if you know how, without vision, becomes legalism. Because you're like, I know to read the Bible. I know to pray. I know like fasting is good and generosity is important. And I do all these things. You start becoming like the Pharisees where you're like, look at me. I'm doing all of the things on the outside. Paul talks about the outside of the cup being clean, but the inside still being dirty. When you don't have a vision that's actually God transforming you from the inside out, but you have the method, it's legalism. But if you have vision without the method, you're just frustrated. You're just frustrated. I can't change. I'm not becoming more like him. But if you have vision and method without intention, without the decision, you just have intellectualism. Maybe you've met these people in the church. They know what to do, and they know why and how to do it, and they're like, and that's great, and I understand it, but they're not actually doing it. They, like, they can teach on it even. They can explain it. They can show it to you, but they haven't actually decided to live it themselves. We need all three of these. We need a picture. We need a decision, and we need to know how. I like to think of how we change with this image. Do we have that image with the Holy Spirit and the, the community? And There it is, yeah. Um, there's more to it than this, but I think you can fit most of the big categories of how the Bible teaches about change in here. That we change through teaching and learning, 
that information is really important, that we do actually need to read the Bible. We do actually need uh, expository teaching through the Word of God. We're going to be going through Galatians. Like, we need to learn. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, how we think. That's really, really important. Um, But it has to be done in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He has to reveal it to you. He has to give you understanding. So it's not just knowledge. Um, We also need community. We need to, to do it with other people. It's really hard to be who God's calling you to be with the wrong friends. It's really hard. Walk with the wise and become wise. That's Proverbs 13:20. For a companion of a fool suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Character is that that Christ-like formation, that becoming like Jesus. Like we need the right people around us. We need to we need to grow in our understanding. We need the right people around us and then we need habits and disciplines. This is, this is what the church has called uh, the, the disciplines of the faith or the practices of Jesus. It's Sabbath. It's reading your Bible. It's generosity. It's, it's all of those things that are talked about regularly. Prayer. Those regular rhythms. And then that process all through the Holy Spirit over time. That is how we change. Here's the thing. You can change all of these and have them be not intentional, and you'll still change. Because here's the, the fact of the matter. We are all changing. We are all being formed. It's what are you being formed into, and are you being intentional about it? Because if you take this and just change Holy Spirit to just your environment, what's around you, instead of having it led by God, empowered by God, and you take teaching and learning just to be what are the dominant messages that you're hearing in your life, what are the narratives that you're believing? What are other people saying? That's going to form you. In community, that's, you still have friends. You still have people around you. Are they pushing you towards Christ or away from Christ? Habits and disciplines, you have habits. They just might not be helping you. They might not be pushing you towards Christ-likeness. And either way, over time, you're going to be moving in a direction. You're going to either be becoming more like him or more like the world around you. This is why Colossians 3, he says, That is how you lived, and you were being formed by the world. That was the message paraphrase. He was saying, you're being formed that way. Like, the way, the clothes that you put on, the old habits, the old ways, they will turn you into something. It's just not who you want to be. But when we have the Holy Spirit, and we're filling our minds with the truth of God, surrounded by a community that cares about us, with intentional disciplines and habits, over time we start to look more like Christ. And it's not just over time in the good times. It's over time in the hard times. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You don't get perseverance without time. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What James is is painting a picture of is that maturity comes through trial. We've said this before. We believe that God wants to bless you and help you and help you grow, but we often grow through the hard things more than the good things. It doesn't mean that all of the bad stuff in our life is from God and that he's just trying to form us that way. It just means that through the highs and the lows, we're just constantly saying, God, what are you forming me into? How is this changing me? How am I supposed to think differently than I have before? We're changed over time in each of these categories. Um, Really quick, we have 
I have a list of God, spirit, mind, soul, body. Okay, on the left, God, spirit, mind, soul, body, that order of priority is, is how we're supposed to live in the Christian life. The flipped order is how we live outside of Christ. Body, soul, mind, spirit, God. That is the order of who is leading who. This process isn't just automatically flipped. It takes growth. It takes time. It takes intentionality and practice. Because this is why the body and the soul and the mind, soul, you know, kind of being our uh, heart and will and mind being like our thoughts and feelings, it's why those things overpower our desire to follow God. It's why we feel like there's a war inside of us. It's why Romans talks about the flesh versus the spirit. It's why that same theme comes up in Galatians 5. It's why he's saying in Colossians, put on the new and take off the old, because when we rearrange the priority is when we actually start to see the change. But this doesn't just happen so easily. You can't just be like, I want God in control and then my redeemed spirit and then my mind and soul and body and like the desires my body has, the flesh, the cravings of the flesh, the, the, the things the, the flesh desires is the language of the New Testament over and over. I want that at the bottom of the, the, the pecking order of who gets to say what happens in my life. But the way you get there is through understanding the word, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, being in Christian community, being, having people who can speak into your life, having the Holy Spirit working the whole time in all of those things, and being surrounded uh, by practices and habits that make you more like Jesus. A lot of times when people come to me and they're struggling with a specific one thing, they're like, I can't stop looking at this, doing this, drinking this, smoking that, whatever that one thing is for them that they're like, I can't let go of. My number one thing, and I give them multiple things, but the first thing I say is try fasting. Yeah. Try fasting. And the reason is, is not because fasting has some supernatural power. Um, it does do something supernatural, though. Is fasting isn't just a way of starving our body and being like, submit, but it does naturally rearrange these it's saying, no, intentionally, I'm actually going to stop eating because what I want more is to feed on, on what God offers. I want him as a higher priority. I feel out of alignment. I feel like the desires I have are actually more powerful than, than the desire I have to follow Jesus in this area. Like the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what the New Testament says. And the way that you make it so that your spirit is stronger is, is you starve the flesh. And that's not just literal. That's like actual. Like you, you, you remove yourself from those situations. You change the way you think about it. So we need those things. We need learning. We need community. And we need habits and disciplines. We don't just read our Bible and pray because it's the right thing to do. We, we do it because it's changing us. We do it because it's like intimacy with God. It's friendship with our Heavenly Father. He says he doesn't call us slaves, but friends, sons and daughters, that he wants to spend time with us. He actually wants us to become more like him, and it's the best thing for us. And so those things, those, those pieces of clothing that you've held on to, because they're comfortable, they're what you've known, they're what you've always had, he's saying, no, take it off, put on the new ones. It's going to be better. Have a picture, understanding, a vision that it is actually what the kingdom of God offers is better. 
what you're looking for is found there. Have, have the decision to make and say, I'm taking that off. And then intentionally surround yourself with the Word of God and teaching and understanding. Strong Christian community. Small groups just kicked off. It's a great time to join one. And instill some habits and disciplines in your life that are intentionally moving you the way you want to go. Not for the sake of, of just doing the habits, but for the sake of being changed. I want to close with this. Romans 12.2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will look like everyone else when you have the order that everyone else has. When you're formed the way that everybody else is formed. But when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, when we change the way we think, we start to change the way we live. I want to get really, really practical as we close. Those, those three things are hopefully practical. Do, the, do those three things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I also just want to give you a picture of like what this looks like for me. So like on a normal morning, I know the areas that God is, and I are like working through. And it's different in different seasons. But depending on the season, I'm going to wake up and intentionally clothe myself with those things. I'm going to process it with God. If it's joy, because I'm in a season where I'm not feeling joyful, I'm going to wake up and go and be with God and talk to him and be like, God, I'm giving you this thing I'm stressed out about. I'm giving you my to-do list. The things that I wake up that are stealing my joy, I'm, I'm intentionally handing those over because that's taking off the old clothes. I'm going to take them off before I put on the new things. God, I give you this. That, that stressful conversation and and this problem that I'm thinking through and I'm going to take those off and I'm going to give those to you. And God, I ask that you'd give me joy. Joy through the power of your spirit. And I, I just start going through it. I start talking about who he says I am. God, I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then I start thinking about who I want to be. This is the vision part. This is, this is important. I think about it in the relationship to the day. God, I want, to, I want my kids to see that I'm joyful. I want them to see that this isn't just something that I say, but it's something that I'm living. I want to, I want to be able to know that I am becoming more like Christ, that, that your spirit is producing joy in me today. I also want to know that, you know, I see it moving that direction this week and this month, and then I start thinking farther ahead. And, and God, I want, I want to be somebody who... When at the end of my life, people say he, he had the joy of the Lord. That it wasn't a, just a happiness, that he had real joy. And this is just for joy. Joy is one example because this is how I'm clothing myself with joy in, in this last season. And then I, I think in that big picture and I say, God, would you help that? I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I know that you've given me a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So God, I'm going to worship you and praise you today because you are worthy of my praise. And I, I believe that you're praised. As I praise you, you're going to give me joy. And I thank you that, that I am not a person who is filled with anxiety or worry or any of these things because that's not of you. I've experienced those things, God, but that's not who you say I am. And I'm, I'm taking those things off and giving them to you. And I'm asking you to fill me with your joy again, fresh this morning. It changes me. It changes the way I think. But you know what? I do it again the next morning. It's a regular, regular clothing myself, taking it off, putting it on, that I have practices and disciplines, that I'm reading the scripture, that I have community. I, I have community. Like I was on the, the phone with a friend for over an hour this week who they, their church plant, they planted the same time as us. We've grown closer. And we're just asking each other real questions. 
encouraging each other. Hey, have you thought about this? How, how can I pray for you for that, that thing that you're, you're thinking through? And real community that's making me more like Jesus. And then I, I intentionally add those disciplines, relationships, and changing the way I think so that I can become more like Christ. So let's pray. God, we, we ask that you would help us. We, we know that you're asking us to participate, uh, but God, we are very aware we can't do it without you. All of this has to be done through the power of your Holy Spirit. You, we receive you by grace, through faith, and that's the same way we're called to walk in you, is by grace, through faith. So God, we come full of faith that you want to make us into who you're calling us to, and that you're going to give us the grace to do it, the ability to do it, the power of your Holy Spirit to do it. God, would you help us to do our part? God, would you empower us to have uh, discipline? God, would you surround us with the right people? Would you help us to have a desire to get into your word and that we'd see that it's changing us? God, would we have perseverance that leads to maturity? God, I pray for, for whatever stuck out to somebody today, whether it's the habit they need to let go of or one of the ways they need to intentionally cling on to what you're calling them to or whatever you spoke to them, God, would you help them to have the ability to follow through on that? Would it not be something that's left here on Sunday morning in this room? But would you help us to actually grow in Christ-likeness? God, we want to be more like you. We want to look like you. We want to sound like you. We want to live like you. We want people to encounter us and see you. God, we're desperate for it. We believe that you want to use us to, to influence our community, our own little world. God, and we know that we need to be more like you to do that. Would you change us? Would you transform us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.